Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Ryan Clayton Podcast. Uh, thanks for stopping by. Um, if you're new, introduce yourself to me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or something. Uh, it's May 22nd. Yeah, spring is almost over. Summer's almost here, I think, officially. And uh, you can definitely tell because there's been some really hot and muggy days so far uh, over the last couple of weeks here in Indiana. But it's also been pretty, there's been some pretty cold days chilly nights. Um, but yeah, I feel like we're almost there. I feel like we're almost to summer. I uh, wanted to thank a couple sponsors uh, first off the bat, Inside Tracker. Uh, they've been helping me monitor uh, my health. Uh, basically, I go and get blood work, send in, the, and then the data automatically gets sent to them, and they organize it uh, on a website that's really easy for me to just monitor my health and keep track of what's going on. Also, another company that I wanted to talk about, uh, they've decided to be my nutrition sponsor for the year. Uh, you've heard me talk about them quite a bit on this podcast and in my videos, and that is Univid. Uh, they make uh, some amazing gels, electrolyte mix, recovery mix, ultra butter. Uh, that's my favorite. Uh, I like all of it. Um, I've been using them for a couple months. They reached out to me a while ago to do a review of their products on my uh, YouTube channel and uh, did that review, really loved everything and have continued using it. And just through talking, uh, we decided that it would be a benefit to both of us. Uh, so they are helping out with all my nutrition for the Midwest Super Slam. So that's really awesome. Um, we've also got a lot more planned. Uh, this year, and I will talk about that uh, probably not on this podcast because uh, it's not not everything is all ironed out yet. But um, I'll explain a little bit more uh, later uh, in this podcast just about how I use their nutrition. And um, there's a code in the description of this podcast in the show notes uh, with a link to their website, and you can get 10% off if you put in my code. So go ahead and try it out and tell me what you think. So like I said, it is almost summer. It feels every single day like we're getting closer and closer to summer. The weather's heating up. It's hot outside. It's sunny. Uh, that's my favorite time to run is outside in the hot sun. Uh, it just feels so great. Um, but as you know from my last podcast, I'm dealing with a bit of an injury. And I've got an update for that. Uh, so was a couple weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago. Uh, I went to a doctor. Uh, it was actually really hard to find a doctor in town to see me because I wanted to see an orthopedic specialist because it was it had to do with my knee. Uh, and so I just, you know, typically I don't go see doctors because it just feels like um, an extra kind of like hassle or time spent. And I don't know, I just... I don't go see doctors very often. Usually if I'm sick, I'll just kind of wait it out. If I've got something hurt, I'll just, you know, try to deal with it at home. But this seemed like something much more serious. So, uh, you know, talk to a few people. Actually, one of the biggest reasons why I went to go see a doctor was because a few years ago, my brother tore his meniscus and that's a pretty bad injury. Uh, if any of you guys have ever had that or know anyone that has, uh, you can't really 
heal that on your own. You're gonna you gotta get that operated on. So when he and I would talk, um, it kind of sounded like some of the symptoms were similar, and that really freaked me out. Uh, you know, thinking that okay, this could be something that is just not gonna heal on its own. So that really pushed me to go see a doctor, uh, just kind of like comparing symptoms and uh, all that with him. Uh, so like I said, tried getting in to go see an orthopedic specialist here in town. And while we've got a lot of really good hospitals and a lot of good doctors, uh, it was just a really long wait to go see a specialist, even for just the assessment appointment, like a month wait to get in and see a specialist. And that really bummed me out because at the time, uh, my first hundred was about a month away. And so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if I can't even go see a doctor for a month, how in the world am I going to train for this race? And, you know, the big thing was that I had no idea what it was. I didn't know if this was something that I could run on. I didn't know if this was, uh, something that, um, was a serious injury that the more I ran on it, the more I injured myself. Uh, so there was just a lot of unknowns going on. And so I really wanted to go see a doctor. I really wanted to go see an orthopedic specialist, someone that knew exactly what was going on with my knee. Uh, so then I uh, started searching around uh, a little bit farther away down in Indianapolis, which is about an hour away. And there's a ton of really good hospitals and doctors down there. Uh, So ended up finding a pretty accomplished orthopedic specialist in Carmel that had an opening the next day uh, because of a cancellation. Uh, So uh, as I was, you know, making these calls, I made this appointment, drove down to Carmel the next day. uh, And uh, it was actually ended up being probably one of the best case scenarios I could have hoped for. The doctor himself had been a hockey player like his whole life. So he's uh, very understanding um, and very sympathetic to someone like me who, uh, you know, is into sports and is into, uh, you know, endurance events. Um, The actual facility was a sports clinic as well. So everybody there was kind of into uh, you know, just the way of thinking that I was, you know, interested in seeing somebody that, um, would understand my point of view. Cause I'm obviously like, I'm not going to a doctor and hoping that they're gonna, you know, put me on a four week plan where I have to stay off my feet or a couple months or like, I'm not going to a doctor because I need to get out of work. Um, this is, I'm going to a doctor because, can't run and running is a huge part of my life right now. So I wanted to go see somebody that understood that. Uh, Also was kind of hoping and praying that uh, when I told this doctor that I run hundred mile races, uh, that wouldn't uh, throw up like big red flags or they wouldn't react negatively to that, or that wouldn't influence their decision. Unless of course, medically it should have. Um, But you know, I've seen general practitioner doctors before who I tell what kind of stuff I do, and uh, they just really are against it. <clears throat> and uh, that's been, I've had, you know, a couple bad experiences uh, with general practice doctors over the years um, 
who have, you know, tried to convince me not to, uh, do some of this stuff that we do in endurance sports. And maybe they have a point, uh, but I was really hoping that it would be somebody sympathetic to what I'm trying to do. And, uh, turned out to be a really good situation. Uh, got in there and, uh, this doctor, First thing he did was uh, he wanted to get some x-rays. So we went and got x-rays of my knee, uh, a couple different angles, and then we looked at those, and he was actually really impressed, uh, <laughs> which kind of felt good. Uh, he was like, well, you know, for as much as you run, I kind of expected your knees to be a little messed up, but they're not. They're really symmetrical. Like, there doesn't look like there's any, like, cartilage damage. Like, it looks like, it looks like they're pretty healthy knees. Like, it looks like the movement isn't restricted in any way. Um, you look like you're, he said, he's like, it kind of looks like you're built to run. (laughs) So I was like, awesome. And, um, so then, uh, he kind of started feeling around my knee. We would, he would bend it back and forth a few different ways and basically exam, uh, uh, did an examination on my knee, uh, did some pressure points and, um, found out exactly where it was hurting and then he was really confident in his diagnosis that it turned out uh, to be IT band syndrome. Uh, he said that there's basically no chance in his mind that he thought it was a meniscus tear because I brought up that. I said that my brother tore his meniscus. Uh, he said, it's definitely not that. Uh, you would have felt some extreme pain when I would push in this certain area and there was no pain there. Um, so it was definitively IT band syndrome. Which at first I was kind of like, oh gosh, like this is uh, kind of embarrassing because I feel like this is like one of the most common runner injuries and I should have been able to diagnose this on my own. Um, But uh, the way he explained it was that a lot of times IT band syndrome, uh, you feel the pain in weird areas. He said sometimes it generates in one part of your knee. And then the next time you do this activity that causes pain, it might start somewhere else in the knee. He says, it's not really predictable. Like it's not always the same pinpoint spot that's going to hurt. And that's exactly what I experienced. Like I would go for a run and it would hurt more on the front of my knee and then it would spread to the back and then it would kind of be in the center of my knee. And it didn't feel like it was on the outside sometimes. And he said, that's really common, uh, with, um, you know, people, how they, how they perceive the pain said, some people just feel it in different spots. Um, but he said definitively, that's what it was. Uh, and then I asked him, I was like, so what's your thoughts about me trying to run a hundred miles in four weeks? And he just kind of laughed and, uh, he just smiled and he was like, well, he's like, uh, you're not going to damage it further, uh, which was great to hear. He said, that this isn't that type of injury. Uh, nothing's torn. Nothing is uh, damage that needs to be repaired in that type of way. Uh, but what it is, is it's, um, it's inflamed and you basically need to either rest it or start doing physical therapy that uh, is going to loosen up probably the hip area, maybe the back. Uh, basically, there's a tightness coming from somewhere that's causing an extra load on that area, specifically the IT band, and causing it to become inflamed, and that causes pain, and the more you use it, the more it hurts. (laughs) Uh, So he said, 
I'm not going to stop you from running, um, but you need to start physical therapy if you want to get over the pain. And I said, okay, great. <laughs> I'll start physical therapy tomorrow. And uh, I asked him, I said, so what are, um, what should I look out for? Like, is there a timetable? Like if it continues to hurt for X number of weeks or months, is the, when does it become a real serious problem that I need to uh, address in a different way? Uh, because I told him, I said, I don't want to have any permanent damage. I said, if there's, if there's a potential for permanent damage, I'll do, I'll cancel everything I have planned for this year. I just, I don't want to uh, risk my running career for the rest of my life so that I can run a couple hundreds this year. And he said, yeah, I get it. And um, he goes, if this lasts for another year or two, <clears throat> then you need to start taking it really seriously. And he's like, at that point, um, it's probably will have built up some scar tissue. And at that point you might need to get operated on to remove the scar tissue. He's like, but just make sure that you take care of it uh, pretty soon. But he said a couple months is not going to cause any long-term damage. So that was really good to hear. Uh, I felt like he was really honest with me. I felt like he understood where I was coming from. And uh, I was really, really glad I went to go see a doctor because you know, one of the one of the hardest parts about being injured is not being confident that you know exactly what's wrong. Uh, you, I mean, you might know, but in the back of your head, you're con you're sometimes thinking, "What if this isn't really what it is? What if I'm causing permanent damage? What if it's this?" And then you get on the internet and you start looking around, and it's just you drive yourself crazy with. Um, the questions and with, with not being certain on what it is. So I was really, really glad I went and saw a doctor because now I know what it is and I know how to address it. Well, I'm learning how to address it, but I'm not worried that there's a, a ligament that's been detached or that my meniscus is torn or that my something's going on in my knee that is going to cause me to have pain for the next 60 years of my life. I'm not worried about that at this point. So I'm very glad I went and saw a doctor. And I mean, if you have good insurance, even if you don't, or if you don't have insurance at all, like I just, I think going, seeking out, doing your homework and seeking out someone that you feel like you can trust um, in the way that I did and going to see a doctor is going to massively help you if you're dealing with an injury. And I won't be as hesitant next time I'm injured. I'll tell you that. So that was great. Um, and then, so he recommended that I go see physical therapy. And so then I on the drive home, I started calling around to some of the physical therapy uh, facilities uh, that were uh, kind of nearby uh, in town. And a lot of them had wait times of a week or two weeks uh, to get in, and that really surprised me. Um, but I was able to, uh, this one place, uh, I was able to kind of talk my way into uh, have like just trying to let them squeeze me in uh, the next day uh, right like kind of before they close <laughs> and so they did and this 
place uh, was very, you know, understanding. I mean, I told the, I told the um, person over the phone, I was like, my doctor told me I need to go in and see a physical therapist tomorrow. So I need to show up. Just please like squeeze me into the schedule somewhere. So they did. And it ended up, I mean, that was great. Like I, I, honestly, one of the hard parts about picking a doctor or someplace like physical therapy, if you don't have a reference or you don't have, uh, you know, any information, you're just kind of like throwing a dart at the wall (laughs) and you're just hoping that it lands in a place that's, uh, going to help you. And that's what I was doing with this. I really didn't know anything about this physical therapy facility. Um, I'd been to one in the past that I didn't have a whole lot of success with, so I knew I didn't want to go back there unless it was... They were also really expensive. Uh, But anyway, I picked this place, ended up being really good, got in the next day. They did my assessment, and we scheduled uh, a bunch of appointments out. And I started doing this um, routine that they had me do, and it has it includes a lot of stretching. Uh, it includes a lot of uh, like stability and strength work for your hips and for your back. And this is something that I have been doing uh, for years. Usually once a week, I'll do kind of like a stability routine that does focus on knees and hips and your back. But I guess it just it wasn't enough in my case. Um, I think everybody needs a different amount, you know, and I think I just probably, uh, you know, guessed a little bit low on how much I needed for what I was um, for what I was trying to do. So this routine that they have me doing, it's uh, it includes stretching the hip. which will, uh, you know, stretching your glutes, stretching your uh, quads, your hamstrings, uh, which will end up loosening up the IT band. And then it includes uh, just some, it's kind of hard to describe it, uh, just uh, without any visual help, Uh, but just uh, like squeezing, like kind of like a small, like a small, uh, we have these little, uh, toy basketballs for a toy basketball hoop. So that's like the perfect size, uh, to squeeze in between your ankles, uh, squeeze in between your knees. And it really works kind of like, uh, these muscles that flex your hip sideways and doing that three times a day. It's a routine that takes about 20 to 30 minutes. Sometimes if I do extra stuff, and uh, three times a day. But you know what? This physical therapy has been helping a lot. And when I go in, I've been going in twice a week, and that's a full 60 minute full on workout. Like, <laughs> uh, this physical therapist, uh, she's been great. Uh, she, like, she knows she knows my whole story, what I'm trying to do. And so she said, okay, well, we're going to hit this really hard. (laughs) She's like, I hope you're ready. (laughs) I said, I'm ready. Like I want to run these races. Uh, so it's 60 minutes whenever I go into the office of just a full on workout, like I'm sweating, 
pouring sweat off my forehead onto the floor, like while we're doing these exercises. Uh, but it is working. And I am so thankful that I went and saw a doctor, that I got into physical therapy, that I've committed to this, that I've committed to going into the office and doing these hard workouts, uh, getting this treatment. Oh, she's also doing this thing called scraping, which sounds a lot worse than it actually is. It's basically like they just take this tool and they kind of run it over your muscles and it's like, it's like a piece of plastic or something. And it, it's basically like if you took a comb and flipped it around to the, the side that doesn't have the, uh, pointy teeth and you just kind of like ran it up and down your leg over your muscles basically is what it is, what scraping is. Um, but we're doing that every time, but I'm just so glad that I committed to this because I've seen so much improvement in my IT band and in my knee, uh, so much that I told her, uh, I said, you know what? I really want to try and test this out. Uh, this past weekend, I told her, I want, you know, I, I want to go on a really long run. I want to jump into this race, um, down in Southern Indiana and just see where my fitness is, see where my knee is. Uh, because I've got at the, at that point I had two weeks till kettle 100 I said, I just, I just really need to know if this is going to be just a suffer fest when I go up to Wisconsin, or if maybe I have a shot of, uh, getting through a good portion of it pain-free, I just really need to know where I stand. So she said, okay, she goes, okay, great. So she taught me a couple stretches that I could do like out on the trail. If things start hurting, you know, we kind of went over different scenarios of when to pull the plug, when to keep going, uh, what type of pain threshold I should expect to be making those decisions at. Uh, just, just phenomenal. Like, like she just really knows what she's talking about. And honestly, I'm just so thankful and honestly credit everything, uh, that I've been able to do so far to, um, physical therapy, honestly. And my, view on physical therapy has changed dramatically over the past couple of weeks. So that brings me to this past weekend uh, where I decided to jump into this race called the Gnawbone, <laughs> G-N-A-W, gnaw, gnaw, uh, like a dog gnawing on a bone. And it's down in Brown County, Indiana, which is notoriously hilly and in Indiana, people call it technical trails, but it's really not. Uh, there's rocks and there's roots and it's a lot of single track, but it's really not technical. Uh, it's just, you can't, uh, it's not, a, <laughs> you can't zone out. Like you have to pay attention to what you're doing and you have to know where you're putting your feet. And there's a lot of rattlesnakes, uh, in Brown County. Uh, so that freaks a lot of people out. It freaks me out a lot. Um, so I was constantly hyper aware watching for snakes and, uh, yeah, so I decided to jump into this race. Um, they, the cool thing is, uh, well, one thing, the thing I was worried about was the course, but that's also the cool thing. Uh, the course is kind of like a, it's basically a lollipop, uh, course you go out almost four miles and then you start this big, uh, like a 20, 27 mile loop. 
and uh, aid stations are about every four miles. But that's also the thing that kind of scared me because I was like, what if I was like, I know I can get through four miles without feeling a whole lot of pain, but what if my knee starts just really killing me at like 10 miles or 15 miles? And at that point, at like 15, 16, 17, I'm the farthest away from my Jeep I will be the whole day. <laughs> and the only way to get back would be to either walk back uh, and or try to get a ride. And I was just a little, I was a little worried about that. Like I was, this was probably the one time where I was like, you know, I could definitely do a race that was like a five mile loop. <laughs> I would be fine with that. Uh, but there actually was another race, uh, that was a small loop on the same weekend, uh, that a lot of my friends were doing, but I wanted to do something that was more single track, like in the woods, uh, something with some vertical. Uh, I just wanted to, I wanted that experience. Like I wanted to be out in the woods. So went down decided to sign up for the Gnawbone, even though there was a chance of getting stuck out on the trail somewhere and having to get a ride back. Um, it's also kind of notoriously one of the harder races in Indiana, just because of because of the vertical gain. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't too bad. I think uh, my watch, uh, I think it was a about a hundred feet per mile, um, which is not that much, but for Indiana, um, that scares a lot of people. Um, yeah. So decided to sign up for the 50 mile. And the reason why is because they have a, it's basically an option and you can drop down to the 50 K at a certain point if you want to. So I said, you know what, if things are going perfect and the weather's great and my knee feels amazing. Um, I'll just try and do the whole 50 miles. And if things are not going well, as far as the weather or my knee, uh, I'll shoot for the 50 K. So sign up, uh, drive down, end up camping in my Jeep, uh, the night before, I don't know if, uh, I'm sure all of you guys know of Billy Yang, but I don't know if you watched a video that he put out a couple months ago where he kind of detailed his car camping strategy and like some of the gear he uses. Well, he talked about this tri-fold mattress uh, and I actually bought it uh, to use in my Jeep and so I could sleep in there uh, for some of these races and it ended up working out really well. Like it was awesome. Like it felt like I was sleeping in a full on bed is smaller than a twin size mattress when it folds out, but it is memory foam. And it was just like, I had no idea, uh, as far as the way laying down felt, I had no idea that I was sleeping in the back of my Jeep. <laughs> uh, so I got that and got a camping spot down in Brown County state park and just went down there, uh, met my friend, Matt actually got the spot right next to his camper. So that was fun. I uh, hung out with him and his family for a little bit and then, you know, kind of just went to sleep and woke up pretty early and, uh, you know, got ready for the race and we were off at 6am. The race, uh, race day, uh, well, the day before it rained. Uh, so the trails were 
really muddy in a lot of parts, but also race day, it got up to 91 degrees <laughs> and it was humid and it was muddy. So it was just like perfect training because it was like kind of like worst case scenarios for someone like me <laughs> uh, who isn't great in heat. Uh, and also, and you know, I mean, the mud just made it really hard. So that was great. So the other thing I didn't anticipate was the fact that there might be allergy problems at this race because we had just gone through winter and no one, I mean, I don't deal with any allergies or anything in the winter and I typically don't deal with them very much like in the spring or summer or fall either. But this day at this race, whatever allergies I have were just going nuts. Uh, one of the guys I was running with, um, had his phone on him and he kept getting these alerts throughout the day from the weather channel. And it was like pollen warning, threat level red, like stuff like this. And we were just like, my eyes were stinging so bad. It just, it felt like every time I would blink my eyes that my, uh, like, it just felt like there was stuff in the corners of my eyes. Like it was so painful. I was coughing like crazy I felt like there was stuff stuck in my throat. Uh, I was actually, for the last half of the race, pretty much, um, I only had water in my water bottles because I was having to use the water from my water bottles so much to actually squirt in my eyes to clean them out because they were itching so bad. And it just like, like they just hurt. Like it was just painful. And I did not anticipate that happening. So that was like another really good test and um, a good reminder to like, especially for uh, some of these like spring or summer races to like bring some allergy medicine <laughs> uh, and I guess like Papa Allegra or something uh, right before the race. And maybe, I don't know, maybe look into it and have some, some more in a drop bag or something, but that was just like, so did not see that coming. Uh, and that really made the race even more difficult. Uh, but the whole day, uh, you know, my knee felt pretty good. Uh, I, I made a really specific point about not pushing it. Uh, I, you know, even from the very start, like from the very, very start, like everybody starts running and I ran for about a hundred yards and I started walking and just to get to, just to get kind of to the back of the pack and just to make sure that I wasn't putting myself in a position where once we got onto the single track that I was going to feel forced to run or something because I was in a long train of people. Uh, so I really wanted to set that up from the beginning, just that I was not going to push myself. I was not going to push my knee specifically. I was not going to put, uh, the whole season, uh, in jeopardy because I wanted to kind of just selfishly push myself in this race. So right from the beginning, uh, just held back and, uh, it was really good. Um, you know, found uh, a bunch of people in the back that were uh, real fun to hang out with. And, uh, just basically all the climbs just hiked them. I practiced, uh, hiking fast. And like a lot of my, 
uh, hiking uphill training and all that, like came right back from the last couple years of, uh, training for mountain races and being out in Colorado and Virginia, um, in real mountains. So when you're climbing up like a 300 foot hill in Indiana, they're still steep, but I mean, you can climb up a 300 foot hill in a couple, two, three minutes or something. You don't, you're not climbing for three hours like you are, uh, some of the mountains out in Colorado or whatever. Uh, so you know, really a lot, uh, was felt really confident climbing, which was awesome. Um, because, uh, this kettle 100 coming up, uh, I think it's got like 9,000 feet of gain over a hundred miles, which is like very, very little, uh, compared to, um, some of the other races that I've done and a lot of hundreds that are out there. A lot of you probably right now are laughing, uh, thinking 9,000 feet of gain. Like we do 50 K's that have 9,000 feet of gain in them. Uh, but yeah, this is the Midwest. Um, but yeah, like, so all day was really making a point not to push my knee. And that turned out to be a really good strategy. Uh, oh, also I forgot to tell you that I, uh, used some rock tape, which is like KT tape, uh, on the side of my knee, um, my physical therapist showed me how to tape it in a way that would give just a little bit of extra support for the IT band. Got some of this like tough skin glue that she recommended and the waterproof rock tape, uh, put it on the day before. And that stuff is magic. Like the, the, the glue, I mean, uh, the tape is great too, but that glue, (laughs) even the day after the race, I still had to use rubbing alcohol and like pour it all over it just to get it off. And it still like felt like I was tearing skin off. (laughs) Uh, So if you guys need to tape something up, look up, I think it's called tough skin, T-U-F-F. And it's like this aerosol spray that's glue. Spray it on your skin, let it dry a little bit, and then put your tape on. And that tape is not coming off (laughs) ever unless you... I mean, maybe, but I mean, I had to use rubbing alcohol just to get it off. Uh, so that, I I feel like that helped. That gave me a little bit of confidence, just maybe having a little bit extra support there on my knee. But yeah, I mean, the first couple hours of that race, the weather was so cool and the temptation to run was definitely there. Um, I saw a bunch of people I knew, um, a lot of either viewers or listeners uh, uh, reached out like during the race and they introduced themselves and uh, that was awesome meeting some of you guys. Um, so thank you for introducing yourselves to me. Um, I always think that's fun. Um, but yeah, it was the temptation to run was like super strong the first couple hours. Um, so the race started at six in the morning and by about 11 o'clock it was starting to get really hot and the bugs were coming out there's horse flies that like attack you and bite you uh and uh watching out for poison ivy watching out for rattlesnakes and then you have the heat and the humidity and the sun um so it was it was a pretty good like uh tough race like it beat you down like if you really wanted to race it like i don't know how some of those guys um, ran 50 miles as fast as they did, but, uh, 
um, like the 50 mile winner finished in like nine Oh five or something. And I mean, that's not a crazy fast 50 mile time by any means, but on this course in this mud, also the trails, some of them, we were on horse trails. I actually ran by a bunch of horses several times, but, uh, the horses made the trails just, I mean, it was just like such cruddy trails, uh, that we were running on, uh, the horse trail specifically, because since it was also muddy, these, uh, the horse's hooves would go down like 12 inches into the mud and create just these humongous like potholes. And it was just like everywhere on the trail. Like you couldn't, there was no sure footing for sometimes, uh, like hundreds of yards up to like maybe a half mile. Some of these sections that we were on, we actually got lost one time too. There's a group of about nine or 10 of us. And the guy in front just missed one of the turns. We were on a horse trail and you're supposed to turn off of it onto a single track trail. So he just missed it. And then we all missed it because we were trying not to lose our shoes or fall over uh, on this rutted out horse trail. And it was super sloppy mud. So we ended up running probably, we calculated it was probably about an extra 1.7 miles uh, on this loop of this horse trail before we could get back onto the course. Uh, but we did. So yeah, so all of us ended up running an extra 1.7 miles. Um, but yeah, it got super hot. It got really like, like I was starting to get probably a little dehydrated, a little delirious towards the end. Uh, just really had like kind of lost a lot of the desire to really try hard. And it was just kind of like, okay, let's pack it in. Let's just hike the rest of the way. Uh, you know, but then we all kept encouraging each other, uh, the little small group that I was in and we kept running a little bit and then we'd walk again, running a little bit, hike again up, you know, run down, uh, things like that. And ended up, ended up finishing 50 K, which was just a really, really, a big accomplishment in my mind because for the last three weeks, I think I could, I think I totaled it up on Strava the other day and it was like, I ran like 18 miles in the last three weeks total. Uh, and that was like terrible, terrible hundred mile training. <laughs> like do not do this if you want to train for a hundred miler. Um, but it was just really, it was really good to get out there, be outside, suffer a little bit, be reminded that these things are hot, uh, in the summer, <laughs> that these, that your body doesn't work as well in the heat. Um, these things are hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, finished. Like we came in, uh, just shy of like nine hours for the 50 K, uh, which was, it was perfect. Like we were out there during the hottest part of the day. Like that's really what I wanted. I wanted to take it easy. I wanted to uh, just see where I was, see where my knee was, and just gained a lot of confidence. Um, definitely didn't do uh, some things right. Like uh, my, <clears throat> so my head, whenever it gets super hot, like my head uh, just feels like if it just feels like it's cooking inside. And so I really need to figure something out. Uh, so I've been kind of researching, um, you know, just different ways to keep cool and been talking to a few people and, 
uh, one friend recommended uh, these specific types of towels that are they're actually cooling towels and when they get wet as the water evaporates the they actually get cooler i don't know how it actually works but i ordered a couple of those off amazon uh, i ordered uh, the same type of material they make them in like a neck wrap uh, so i ordered one of those and i got some arm sleeves so really you know kettle 100 in 10 days I'm planning on it being super hot. If it's not super hot, I, th I can manage it a lot better. But if it's really hot, that's gonna be the worst case scenario. I think even worse than rain. Well, rain is gonna cause problems with feet being wet, uh, but heat is gonna do the same thing because you're sweating. But I think intense heat and intense sun is gonna be the worst case scenario for me personally. Uh, and so I'm, I need to be much more ready, like, with these uh, these arm coolers. Did I say arm warmers just before? Maybe I did. They're not arm. I mean, they're basically the same thing. They're just like spandex arm sleeves. And what you do is when you, you get them wet uh, in the summer, and as the water evaporates, they cool. And then you can also stuff ice in them. Uh, there's a pretty sweet Western States documentary. came out a couple years ago that kind of focused on... Uh, mental health and it, Rob Crar was in it and a couple others. But in there, you really got a good glimpse of what Rob Crar did during one of the years he won Western States. And he had these arm sleeves and he stuffed just tons of ice in them. He stuffed tons of ice in his hat and also in a bandana around his neck. So going with uh, that uh, game plan for Kettle, got my arm sleeves ready to get them wet, put ice in them. Uh, I do have, I do have an actual bandana that I could use if this, um, cooling neck wrap doesn't work out well. Um, I can also shove ice in there, I guess. And then I did get a couple of these cooling towels that I can maybe drape around my neck or, uh, drape over my head, maybe stuff it in my hat so that it kind of covers, uh, me from the sun a little bit. And then also just making sure that I stuff ice in my hat, keep the, keep the hat wet. Um, but yeah, that's going to be my game plan. Uh, I'm going to have a bladder on my back, uh, and it's going to be filled with ice and water as much as possible. So hopefully with that, uh, and proper hydration, like I was, I was definitely well hydrated during Gnawbone. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty, pretty confident on my ability to drink way more water than I need to. Uh, and these eight stations at Kettle um, are pretty, um, pretty generous. Um, there's, there's not many aid stations that are more than about three or four miles apart. I think there's one or two that are like seven or eight miles apart, but most of them are three to four, which makes it way easier to manage. Yeah, that's, that's kind of my biggest fear right now is I feel like if it's super hot, if it gets to 90 degrees or so during the afternoon, and if there's sun out there on those prairies, because a good section of this race is run through a prairie, and that's like tall grass and no uh, nothing to block the sun, like full sun exposure. So you're getting 
the sun on you that's heating you up, um, but then you're also getting the air around you is hotter because the grass that's like three or four feet tall is holding the heat in, and then you're running through this, and so it's just it's just like a freaking oven. Uh, I did in the North Face 50 up in Wisconsin a couple of years ago, and we ran some of these same trails, and I've actually got a video out on my YouTube channel from that race. And it was, it was some of the, I don't know if it was the hottest I've ever been, but it was some of the most delirious I've ever felt because of heat during a race. So I'm totally planning on it being like that. If it turns out that it's like 60 degrees, great. Uh, we won't have any heat issues. We'll just have all the other issues to worry about uh, while running 100. You know, if it rains, then... There's that to worry about, uh, mainly feet, uh, just, you know, getting too wet and blistering up. But if that happens, there's really nothing you can do for that except continue. Uh, I mean, if possible at aid stations, take your feet off, or take your, take your shoes and your socks off and let your feet dry out a little bit, um, change shoes and socks, but once you go back out there, they're going to get soaked again. So it's kind of like you're just, you're at the mercy of, uh, the weather at that point and you just got to get through it as quick as you can. But yeah, at this point, um, I don't have, um, I don't have any crew. I don't have a pacer for the kettle. I'm actually totally fine with that. And I'm really interested to see how it goes, uh, doing it that way, uh, for all my, races I've ever done, I've always had crew and pacers. And um, I'm just kind of interested to see what it's going to be like without. Um, I think it, you know, if any, if any of you guys are going to be there and you want to pace, like reach out, maybe we can hook up towards the end or something. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that go out there and do these things without pacers. And I think it'd just be an interesting added challenge uh, to see how that goes. Uh, I mean, as far as like, as far as all that, like, I'm not too worried about food. I mean, my nutrition's dialed in, like I'm going to be totally fine with Unived. Um, they're, you know, they've given me a ton of gels and a ton of electrolyte mix and this amazing ultra butter, uh, which is a nut butter, but I mean, just like... <laughs> incredibly good, uh, tasting. And, uh, so that I'm going to have all of that, uh, fueling me throughout the race. So I'm not going to have to worry about that. Uh, there's a couple places for drop bags. So I'm going to have like extra clothes and everything in there. I mean, run rabbit run, uh, like my good buddy, Matt paced me, but I didn't have any crew, uh, that whole time and never really needed one. Uh, I don't know. I say all this and maybe, maybe this is going to be my worst race ever where I really needed a crew and pacers and I have huge problems because I don't, but I don't know. We'll see. I guess you're always rolling the dice one way or the other. Um, but yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to it now that, uh, I did this Gnawbone 50 K and came out virtually, uh, virtually fine. Uh, the biggest problem was the heat. And after the race, I was really struggling. And that's one thing that had this been a hundred miler, I would have approached, 
the day completely differently. Uh, I would have gone a lot slower. I would have rested at eight stations more. I would have sat down. I would have got my heart rate down a lot more. I would have tried to manage the heat better by pouring a lot more water over me. Uh, but when you're, you know, when you're out there in a race and you know that you're going to be going for 31 or in our case, 33 miles <laughs> and you're at like mile 29 at that eight station, like you're like, give me a freaking Twizzler and I'm out of here. Uh, I don't need anything. Like I'm going to be done with this race in hopefully less than an hour, you know, maybe 45 minutes. I'm out. Like I'm, I'm just going to suffer for the next 45 minutes. I'm fine with that. Uh, but if it was a hundred and you're at mile 29, you're going to think about it completely differently and you're going to take your time and you're going to sit down and you're going to, I mean, if you're in my position where you're not really racing at the front, like you're going to take your time. You're going to prepare for the heat. Like you're going to get wet. You're going to eat, you're going to drink. So what happened after this race? Uh, like I just, I finished it and I was, you know, hydration, fueling, all of that was fine. It was just, I was so hot and I had a headache. Um, I actually, kind of pretty quickly, I was like, okay, it's 91 degrees here. Everyone is just sitting out in this field in the sun. Some people could find some shade, but most people were in the sun. Uh, they had some food, but it wasn't like anything special. And so I just was like, I'm, I'm out of here. So I just like changed my clothes and started driving basically. And I had a ton of drinks in the car. So I was good on that. I had some food, but the other problem was that my Jeep doesn't have air conditioning right now. It's been broken for like three years. And so it got even hotter as I was driving because of the sun and you know, you're, you're sitting in a car and you're uh, blowing hot air from the engine on you because your air conditioner doesn't work. <laughs> So that was pretty terrible. After like 30 minutes, I just had to stop. Uh, and I actually just like went into a McDonald's and like just started drinking water uh, and just sat there in the air conditioning uh, for like maybe like 30 minutes, just trying to cool my core temperature down because it was just so hot. So for a kettle, that's going to be, that's you know, I think heat is kind of like, I've never really trained for it in a smart way. So I guess that's kind of like my kryptonite, I guess. Um, if I was going to do a really hot race like Western States or, uh, you know, something, you know, maybe in a hot environment, Arizona, something like that, I would definitely train for heat. I would go to the sauna um, I would do a few different things, but I've never really done that before. So maybe I should, maybe I should for kettle. Uh, but I'm just going to be ready with, uh, the cooling towels and, uh, arm sleeves and ice and all that. And just going to take it easy through the afternoon, really. Uh, but that's the thing. Like when you're, when you're doing a race like this and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be really hot there's two different approaches to how you take the day. Uh, you know, when you start the race, 
starts at 6 a.m. You know, it's going to start getting hot at 11, maybe. Uh, what do you do for those first five hours? Do you, you know, do you take it slow so that when it gets hot, you're not in a bad place? Or do you push hard so that when it gets hot, you can pull way back and, you know, still kind of be at a decent place, like as far as your time or positioning goes or whatever. Um, you know, I think everybody approaches it a little bit differently. There's a lot of people that, uh, you know, I know that the potential to blow up uh, is very high if you take the second approach and go out real fast uh, and run the first, you know, four or five hours at a pretty good rate and then try to pull back, like you might, like if you're in a bad spot, it's going to be hard to recover when it starts getting hot. So I think the way I'm going to approach it is just try to take those first four or five hours and run just super easy, uh, do a good amount of hiking, but really not try to not try to bite off a huge chunk of the race in those first four or five hours and then take the next four or five hours that it's really hot in the afternoon and just do whatever is necessary to stay cool. And then maybe 12 hours into the race, like about six o'clock when it's going to start cooling down by eight or nine o'clock when it starts to, when the sun goes down and maybe it drops back into the seventies, <laughs> uh, that's the point where you can really start to say, okay, if I'm in a good spot here, I can start pushing whether you're at mile 60, 40, 50, whatever it is. Um, I think in this race, not knowing how I really handle a hot hundred and not really having trained for the heat, like sitting in a sauna or anything like that. I think that's just how I'm going to have to approach this race. I think I'm just going to have to take the first couple hours uh, pretty easy to make sure that when I hit that hot, uh, the hot hours of the afternoon that I'm, I'm not behind the eight ball already. You know what I'm saying? So that's my plan. Uh, I've decided right here and right now <laughs> that that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to first 12 hours or so, I'm going to take whatever the race gives me as far as weather. And I'm going to make sure that I'm in a good position uh, to push through the night, make sure I don't have to like sleep in a hospital, uh, for a couple hours, uh, with an IV, that would be a worst case scenario. And then, you know, the other thing is, so kettle starts at 6am. Uh, so, uh, the race cutoff time is 10am the next day, just a 30 hour cutoff. So, you know, the other thing you got to think about then is what if it does take 30 hours to finish? Well, now you're into the next day and it's going to start getting hot then. So then you're trying to bring your body back to a normal state in the heat. And for me, like, I'm going to try and sleep a little bit in the Jeep before I start driving home. And it's a five-hour drive, so um, that's not too big of a deal. I think if I can get a couple hours of sleep, I'll be okay. But it's going to be really hard to sleep inside of my vehicle if it's like 90 degrees. <laughs> so this whole thing is just like, it's, this is, uh, this is a fun trying to figure this out. It's like a, 
Uh, it's like a puzzle trying to put together. And the fact that it's hard uh, kind of makes it even more fun. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're just going to, we're going to see what happens. We're going to take the first part of the race easy. Um, I'm not going to try and, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and win the race in the first five hours. That's for sure. But yeah, 10 days, 10 days from right now, I'll be in Wisconsin somewhere, uh, running on part of it. Part of it's on the ice age trail, which is a pretty famous trail up there, but I will be, I'll be running my first hundred of the year. Kettle 100 up in Wisconsin start of the Midwest Super Slam. So yeah, I'm uh, just really, really thankful um, that I'm in a place where I can, I can confidently go up there and do this and not, um, you know, I'd be, I'd be really, really worried if I hadn't done the Nawbone 50K. I'd be really, really worried if I, had a bad day out there on that day if my knee was really still hurting um but man this physical therapy has been just absolutely amazing it's been so so good and i really recommend if any of you guys are out there and you're kind of struggling with some sort of injury uh whether you have insurance or not i mean i would recommend going to a doctor because the the weight of the stress that was on me that came off when I, when I was told what the injury was, I can't even describe like how heavy that stress was that I was carrying around worrying about what this injury is. And once that was lifted off of me, I just felt so much better and I was so much more confident in what I was trying to do. And just every day, like I knew, like as I'm climbing the stairs up to work or something, I knew that I wasn't going to take a, take a misstep and like my knee was going to buckle, uh, because like my ACL was torn or something. Like I knew that that wasn't a possibility. I knew that it was IT band syndrome and that means X, Y, Z. And so I just cannot, I can't explain how uh, big of a deal that was for that weight to come off. And I would just really recommend if you guys are struggling with something, just go seek out a specialist if you can. Somebody that really knows about the body part that you're having issues with, go see them. If they recommend physical therapy, try to find a place that's well-respected and go there. And you're gonna, like it does cost money. Like I am through insurance and paying a lot of money. And then even after the insurance is over paying a decent amount of money to go to the physical therapy, but it is making it possible to do the things that I want to do. <laughs> and that's the value in that I think is more valuable than the money that I'm dropping on this physical therapy. So the fact that I'm able to go do this is the money is almost inconsequential because of how much I value what I'm able to do with my body and how I'm able to go to these races and test myself and test myself and just the feeling that I feel when I'm doing these things. 
Uh, it just doesn't even really compare. So that's my two cents. If you're struggling with something, I would, I would get out there and take care of it. So moving on, um, I've been testing out the Sunto 9 for about a month now. Uh, they sent it to me. Uh, they said, hey, just review this. Um, there was no payment involved. There was no stipulations to what I had to say. They just sent it to me and said, go for it. Um, so I've been using it for about a month as my daily watch. Uh, the funny thing, not funny, uh, kind of disappointing thing is my first run with the watch was actually the last 20 miler that I did before I got like really hurt. Well, that was like the one that I, my knee kind of locked up on. I had done a bunch of 20 milers before that in the weeks leading up, but that first time I put on the watch first run was a 20 miler and my knee locked up at the end. And then that's basically when I shut down my running. So the, week the week two weeks after that i had a couple like two milers and a three miler right in there somewhere and then i went to the doctor and so i really for a couple weeks wasn't able to really test out the activity part of it um but i was able to test out kind of the daily wear and then i wore it during the gnaw bone uh and honestly i have to say that i really like the watch itself um it's, I think the battery life is amazing. Uh, the fact that, um, it's supposed to get 24 hours on one charge in the performance mode, which is the best mode to have it in. And then the intelligent switching that it's supposed to do when it goes from performance mode to ultra track, uh, it switches when the battery starts to go a little low, uh, so I don't know. We'll see what happens at Kettle because I know I'm not going to finish that race in under 24 hours. Or at least I'm planning to. So I assume it's going to switch to ultra track at some point. And uh, so we'll see how that works. But yeah, the watch itself is really a cool watch. There are some limitations uh, that I will I will say just briefly. Uh, having three buttons is a pretty big limitation in my mind. Uh, I think they only put three buttons on there because there's a touch screen, but I really, honestly, I don't really like the touch screen that much. I think if you're not, if your company name isn't Apple or Samsung or something, you probably shouldn't be putting touch screens on things because they usually don't work very well. Um, but the three buttons is kind of limiting because, uh, just for example, like the Garmin Phoenix, they have one button, they have five, but they have one button that's just for the light for the backlight to turn on to see what time it is, uh, during an activity, uh, you can see if it's nighttime, you can click it and see what's going on. Uh, if you're walking around your house in the dark and you want to see what time it is, you just click that button and the light turns on. Uh, well, the Sunto nine does not have one of those. So you have to hit one of the other buttons for it to light up. And that does some things so like if you hit one button it starts an activity if you hit another button it switches to a different screen it shows your heart rate if you hit the button in the middle on the Sunto 9 it does light up but then the touch screen is active for like 30 seconds and you can't shut the light back off so there's just some it stays on for i don't know however many seconds 10 seconds or 30 seconds or something but there's just a few things that are just a little odd about it that uh, from a daily use perspective and then the light 
thing during an activity just seems kind of odd to me that you'd have to uh, press a button during your activity that's going to change the screen just to turn the light on and then hit it three or four more times to get it back to the main screen. So it's just like that, that part's just a little frustrating. Um, um, what else am I thinking about with this watch? Um, it's honestly like the software update was kind of, kind of weird. Uh, you had to plug it into your computer. Like you had to plug it into a computer to update the software. Garmin has had over the air updates for five years that I've had that watch. Uh, I just could not believe that when the new update came out, I had to actually go to my computer and plug it into the USB port to get an update. It just seemed, it seemed like we were living in technology 10 years ago. So that was a little weird. Also, they say that they're, they're just so they're supposed to be so connected to Strava and everything. Well, there's plenty of times where my workouts have not uploaded to Strava for up to an hour or more, which has been kind of weird. But other than those few little things, and honestly, some of those are petty things, uh, the usability thing of the light is kind of um, an issue that I see. But the rest of it is kind of, I mean, it's a really good watch. It's a solid watch. The sapphire glass screen is awesome. Um, I've accidentally banged it into some stuff before and been really scared that there was going to be a scratch on the screen and there's not. So it's a really great screen. Uh, it's a, it's a good watch. Uh, I like it. Would I pay $600 for it? Um, I'm kind of undecided at this point. <laughs> um, I think the ecosystem of Sunto has a lot of room to grow. And that is a really important part of buying one of these smartwatches. So I'm going to kind of explore that a little bit more. And I'll be making a video on this watch, uh, what I think about it. And at that point, um, I'll let you guys know a little bit more what I think about the ecosystem. Uh, yeah, there's some things to be desired there. Uh, where Garmin just really has kind of a leg up from in my mind um, with all of that, but yeah, I'll let you guys know more about what I think about that, but I'll definitely be wearing it for all my races. Uh, I 100% trust it, uh, for these races, the watch, like I said, the watch itself feels really like bomb proof. Like it just seems like the watch itself has never, uh, had any hiccups. Uh, it's never not done what it was supposed to. So it's been a really great watch so far. Also, I mentioned at the beginning that Unived is sponsoring all my nutrition. So that's really exciting uh, that I don't have to worry about that anymore. And also just that it's a company that I just really uh, trust. And I have a lot of the same uh, viewpoints that they do um, on uh, uh, just nutrition, on health, on wellness, you know, they're really like all their products are vegan and gluten-free, which really fits into how I eat as well. And, uh, I just really, I just really like this company and, um, have been working with them for a couple months back and forth, did a video for them a while ago, a review video. And then, um, uh, just been 
staying in contact. Um, and then when this opportunity came up, it just seems like a really good opportunity, uh, for both of us. And I jumped on it and there's more planned, um, that I can't talk about yet, but, uh, we've got more stuff coming. That's going to be really exciting. And I'll tell you guys all about that more soon, but yeah. Uh, real quick, I wanted to do something I talked about last time that I wanted to do like a question and answer section on this show, um, of listener questions. Uh, and so just going to do a short segment, maybe a couple of questions, two or three questions. Uh, so if you have questions for me, uh, shout them out on Twitter or Instagram or, uh, leave a comment on YouTube on one of my videos. Um, but yeah, so, um, Ewan Weeby, uh, asked a question, uh, basically said, wondered if I could talk about my nutrition, uh, like right before a race, during a race, uh, after a race. Um, so that is actually, um, something like, I think I do something that's probably not too common. Uh, and it's something that I learned way back years ago in my triathlon days, uh, from an athlete, um, let me make sure. I mean, I'm not forgetting the name, but I'm wanting to make sure that it's the right athlete. Uh, I believe it was Lionel Sanders. Uh, I believe that's right. Um, he basically, basically what I eat before a race is pretty much the same for every race. I didn't do it at the gnaw bone because I didn't really, um, I honestly just didn't, I was kind of like just super laid back about that race, but I'll definitely do this, uh, for, uh, kettle. And I did this, for, I did this for Ironman and all the, all that, all these long races, but the pre-race meal that I eat in the morning is, um, white rice with brown sugar on top. And that sounds disgusting just saying it, <laughs> but it's like rocket fuel for a race. It's if, you know, it's cooked white rice, so it's soft, uh, very easy to digest, uh, very simple sugar, very just like sim uh, simple sugar, simple carbohydrate, uh, just very simple food. The brown sugar, uh, is just, I mean, it's all very easy to digest. You can get a bunch of calories, uh, I usually try to eat maybe like a cup or a cup and a half of it, like not a ton, but enough to not be hungry at the start of the race and something that, you know, as I digest it over the next hour or two, like it's going to provide me with some energy. Uh, it's actually tastes a lot better than it sounds <laughs> because of the sugar, obviously, but, uh, that's what I do for pre-race, uh, during the race, usually like the first I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour. I don't eat anything, uh, because you really don't have to, um, because you've got, especially if you've done like a pre-race meal like that. Um, but you're gonna, you have so much like stored up energy that you don't really need anything for the first, I mean, you, depends also how hard you're going out, but if you're in kind of your zone two or definitely zone one, you don't need anything in that first hour. So I don't eat anything then, but then what I do is I'll, I'll take a gel about an hour in and I'll usually try to take a gel on every hour. And then I'm also, 
drinking a sports drink. Um, so for these races, it's going to be Unived gels and Unived sports drinks. And um, then when I go to the aid stations, I just, I'll eat whatever looks good to me. And uh, whether that's like a Twizzler or a potato or whatever, um, I'm going to eat, you know, maybe, maybe it's a couple Skittles look good. So I'll eat a couple Skittles or something, but uh, I'll eat whatever looks good. Uh, in the middle of the night at aid stations, it's going to be like hot food, like soup, uh, you know, potatoes, hash browns, whatever, pancakes if they have it, uh, I'll eat them. Um, you know, like I mentioned that I'm like plant-based and all that, so I will, you know, make sure that I'm um, just kind of like sticking with my routine during a race too, so that I don't, like I'm not going to sit there and eat like a plate full of like sausage and bacon and stuff uh, because I don't want that to like throw off my stomach like halfway through a race. But I'll eat basically whatever looks good at aid stations. And then, yeah, I usually try to get, I mean, honestly, tip, like during my triathlon days, like I was shooting for two to 300 calories an hour because I was racing in zone three, sometimes zone four. Uh, and so at that higher output, you need more calories or else you're going to bonk, um, like hardcore. Um, but racing ultras, like especially 50 milers, hundred milers, I usually stick around more from like a hundred to 200 calories per hour, um, because I just don't need as much. Um, yeah. So that's where the in-race nutrition is. And then after, again, I just, I'll eat what looks good, but I'll, I know that I need to eat a lot, uh, after a race. I mean, typically, so like this, this past weekend, uh, I did this 50 K and my, uh, training peaks told me that I burned 4,000 calories. Uh, and I know I didn't take in near 4,000 calories during the race. Like it was probably, I mean, maybe, maybe a thousand to 1500 calories, uh, that's probably, it's probably, you know, it's probably somewhere in there, 1200 maybe. Uh, so I was in a deficiency of like possibly 2,500 calories. Uh, so right away I know I need to eat a bunch. Uh, so I'll eat whatever looks good. And usually I'll have, um, just like some kind of like snack food or something in the car. Um, uh, at the end of this race, I actually ate a big, huge muffin and a bagel, <laughs> Uh, because that's, they had like a bunch of bread at the finish line. <laughs> so that's what I ate. Um, but yeah, typically I'll try and get a full meal in pretty quickly after the race and, uh, just get some calories back in. Uh, so thanks for the question, Ewan. And then let's see. Um, Justin Smith asked how many miles will someone get out of the temp 1.5s? And so to answer that question, it's going to be, I mean, answer might be frustrating, but it's going to be different for everybody. And it's going to be different based off of your body type, um, how big or small you are. It's going to be also based on, um, your running style, um, 
like how your foot contacts the ground. And it's also going to be based on your goals, uh, what you want to get out of the shoe. How, so how much money you have, I guess, how often you want to replace your shoes. Uh, I think typically nowadays, I mean, they used to say that you should get 500 miles out of a pair of shoes. I think it's quite a bit less now. I think most shoe companies have been moving towards making shoes lighter, faster, and I think the materials they're using are just all across the board. The materials that people are using uh, or companies are using just wear out a little bit faster, in my opinion. I can tell a pretty big difference in how the shoe feels uh, in between like right around 250 to 300 miles is usually the farthest I'll take a pair of shoes. But I also, like I said, like my third point is I have access to shoes at a different rate than someone else might. Uh, so that's where it just really depends on what your access to shoes are, like how much money you're willing to spend, or if you're getting shoes in some different way. Uh, I think if you're a, a bigger runner, you're going to want to replace your shoes more often because, um, you're, the soles are just going to wear out quicker. If you're a really, if you're a, uh, lighter person, maybe you can get a lot more miles out of your shoes. Uh, it also depends on how your foot strikes the ground. Um, if you're, if you're really torquing your foot or you're, uh, you know, you're, uh, coming down with a lot of friction, uh, you're putting your foot too far out in front or your heel striking, something like that where it's creating a lot of wear and maybe one side of your shoe is wearing down quicker than the other. Like you're just really gonna have to pay attention to that because all of that changes the mechanics of your running form. So, I mean, honestly, like <laughs> there's no real good answer, I, but I think the typical person nowadays will get two to 300 miles of, you should get two to 300 miles out of your shoes, unless it's a shoe that's designed for maybe speed work or something. There's some shoes that I've gotten to a hundred miles and I felt like, wow, these are really basically done. But you know, in that situation, the shoe was probably a little bit cheaper and it wasn't meant to like hike the whole Pacific Crest Trail on. <laughs> it was meant to do speed work. Uh, so it was very light. Uh, materials were different. Um, you know, so I think it just, it really depends. Like if you're, uh, if you're looking to get the most out of, the most miles out of a pair of shoes and you're looking to save money in that way, you probably want to spend a little bit more up front and get like a really solid, uh, trail shoe that's going to last for a while and then hope that you can get five or 600 miles out of it. And maybe, yeah, maybe you pay $150 for that pair of shoes, but it's better than buying two pairs of shoes in the same amount of time that were a hundred bucks each. So I think it's just, it, it, like the, the honest answer is that it just really depends on a lot of different factors. But thanks for asking, Justin. Okay, here's another good one. So I've gotten a couple questions on the new DJI Osmo Action camera, whether or not I'm going to get it and ditch the GoPro Hero 7. 
And I've done a lot of uh, internet research. I've watched a lot of videos. I mean, the main one that you should, the main channel that you should always go to when a new piece of gear comes out is DC Rainmaker. Uh, so obviously I watched his videos on the Osmo, uh, the Osmo action and no, I'm not going to get it. And the reason why is because from looking at those videos, I don't think that the quality of the video, the stability, the, or the audio is really any upgrade over the GoPro. I think that maybe it's got some features that are cooler, like the front camera. Okay, that's cool. But I've also been using a GoPro for years and years, and I know how to hold it to frame myself, so I don't need I don't need that. It would be nice in certain situations, but uh, the GoPro has such a wide lens anyway that, uh, I mean, you really have to point it away from yourself to not get yourself in the shot. The other thing that's really not tested on these uh, the Osmo action is the battery life. And I've also got a huge stockpile of GoPro batteries that I've bought over the years. And if you change cameras, like all of that goes to waste. So it would be an investment in a new camera, but then also a bunch of batteries and then the battery life. Uh, he said basically was, you know, pretty, comparable maybe a little bit better to the gopro but not enough to uh really jump ship over and then the video quality honestly looking at them side by side i mean some shots the dji looked better other shots the gopro looked better um, the stabilization same thing it was kind of like 50 50 split in my opinion on different shots where one looked better over the other so yeah, it's kind of the flashy thing that's out now. People are calling it the GoPro killer. I don't know. I mean, maybe. I mean, it's gonna. It's definitely a good competition, but I think they're so comparable right now that unless it comes out that maybe the battery life was underestimated and the battery life is just a ton better, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, but I don't think it's gonna kill GoPro. I think it's gonna be some healthy competition. One thing that I do want to address, though, is that a lot of people are saying that they're going with the Osmo Action over the GoPro because it can do 4K 60 in uh, that linear mode that GoPro has, where GoPro, you know, you have to have this fisheye look if you film in 4K, and it also doesn't do 4K 60 frames a second. Um, and my thought to that is that I don't think you need 4K on an action camera. I think there's certain shots where you could use it, where certain shots that you know you're going to be cropping in and out. Um, but honestly, uh, most of my footage on my GoPro, I film in 1080. Uh, I filmed this past race, the Knobbone in 2.7K, uh, just because I could, and I felt like, okay, maybe... Maybe we'll make this one a little bit higher quality in case I want to do some stuff with it, but everything's filmed in 1080 and then it's up res to 4k when I put it in a premiere pro timeline and I don't see a bit of difference. It's an action camera. The sensor size is so small. It's the, I mean, the processor inside just isn't 
I mean, it's not a Canon C200. It's not something, it's not one of these huge like cinema cameras. So the difference between 1080 and 4K is going to be so minimal, especially when you're running through the woods and you've got uh, just so much action that the sensor is seeing. It's my mind, the 4K 60, not a big deal. Uh, I'm totally fine with filming in 1080 60 or 2.7K 60. Not a big deal to me. So that's why I'm not getting the DJI Osmo action. Um, I think it's a good deal. I think if you don't have an action camera, go ahead and get it. I think it's probably it's probably going to be very comparable to a GoPro. Uh, it's also 50 bucks cheaper than a GoPro Hero 7 right now. So I think if you don't have an action camera, it's a pretty good investment. You know, DJI, like they've got... All their drones uh, are industry standard right now. So I think it's a good deal if you want to go ahead and get it. But I won't be switching right now um, unless something happens. Unless somebody sends me one, they want me to test it out. Sure, I'll switch then. But uh, at this point, I'm still Team GoPro for now. But that's it. I just wanted to answer a couple questions. So thank you all for... Um, asking those questions. I don't know if I mentioned who asked that question, but it was Brandon Ostrander. So thank you for asking that question about DJI. There's a couple others that did too, but that's the one that I clipped uh, from uh, YouTube. So again, ask questions if you want me to answer them uh, here on this uh, podcast. Uh, you can tweet at me. You can uh, ask them on Instagram. You can ask them on YouTube. Uh, and I'll save them for a podcast. Also, if you guys think it would be cool to do like a question and answer YouTube video, I can definitely do that too. So yeah, thank you all for listening to this. Um, the next one, the next podcast will probably be after the Kettle 100. So it'll be kind of like a race report. So stay tuned for that. Um, otherwise, thank you all for the support. Thank you for tuning in. And I will talk to you guys again soon. Bye. Oh.